Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866 609 all right this is episode 15 of the all-new doc washburn show it's monday november 1st yes i was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in america cumulus media simply because i refused their vaccine mandate yes it's obvious last november's presidential election was stolen no my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio and yes there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, we are uncensored, and we are unfiltered. Now, one of the things we want to get to today is the oral arguments in front of the United States Supreme Court about the uh, Texas abortion law. Because, frankly, that is more important than anything else that's going on in our country. Will we, at long last... Over 48 years after the horrific Roe versus Wade decision, will we at long last decide, you know what? The most helpless, the most defenseless among us do actually deserve to be protected from murder. So we'll have something coming up on that. Take a look at a really good um, legal website called Legal Insurrection and their uh, doing some live blogging on the Supreme Court's questioning of the, uh, the parties in, in that case. But in the meantime, in the meantime, one reporter the other day for Associated Press said she heard a Southwest Airlines pilot say, let's go, Brandon, and she tried to storm the, uh, the cockpit to get a comment, you know. Which, I don't know, is that a felony? I mean, because that's... Getting into a cockpit is different now than it was before September 11, 2001. Anyway, we got some audio here, and I don't understand why the audio is from earlier, October 11th. I don't understand why nobody will corroborate what this uh, AP reporter woman said. But I understand a lot else, a lot of other stuff going on here. Check it out. East, about uh, seven or eight miles an hour. Good visibility, mostly clear skies, 77 degrees. Thanks for coming out flying the Southwest Airlines. Welcome aboard. Pretty sure that's like Let's Go Braves. Pretty sure that's Let's Go Braves. Pretty sure that isn't Let's Go Brandon. Let's uh, just play the last little bit again. Yeah, a lot of noise in there, but sounds like "Let's Go Braves" to me. Um. So that having been said, <laughs> but they'll go nuts over anything. You know what I'm saying? They will go nuts over anything. It's all about politics 
That's what it's all about. Now, Southwest Air, of course, has been freaking out. Southwest Air has been freaking out. They came out with a statement. The Southwest, the Southwest team takes pride in providing a welcoming, comfortable, safe, and respectful environment for the millions of customers who fly with us each year. Southwest does not condone employees sharing their personal political opinions while on the job serving our customers. And one employee's individual perspective should not be interpreted as the viewpoint of Southwest and his collective 54,000 employees. Southwest is conducting an internal investigation into the recently reported event and will address the situation directly with any employee involved while continuing to remind all employees that public expression of personal opinions while on duty is unacceptable. Southwest does not tolerate any behavior that encourages divisiveness as it does not reflect the Southwest hospitality and inclusiveness for which we are known and strive to provide each day on every flight. Now, that's all well and good. That's all well and good. But I take you to the great Christina Peshaw, who is communications director for the great Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, who responded to Southwest Air. For everyone who says politics should be kept out of the workplace, you first. Teachers need to stop expressing political opinions in the classroom. Corporations need to stop donating to the Black Lives Matter organization and other Marxist front groups and stop boycotting states over politics. Yeah. That's it. And that's it exactly. The hypocrisy here is so thick you could cut it with a knife. I mean, everybody else does politics on the job, right? But we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to. So um, the awful Asha Rangappa, former FBI special agent lawyer, faculty at Yale, CNN analyst. She said, as an experiment, I'd love for a Southwest Air pilot to say long live ISIS before taking off. My guess is that, one, the plane would be immediately grounded, two, the pilot fired, and three, a statement issued by the airline within a matter of hours. She got some interesting responses on that. Right before supporting terrorists that have run planes into buildings is atrocious and not at all like saying, let's go, Brandon, if you were former FBI, it does explain what's wrong with the FBI. And then, of course, she says, ISIS didn't run planes into buildings. They didn't exist in 2001. And then she says, MAGA did attack the Capitol, lie, attempt to overthrow the government of the United States, lie, and threaten to hang the vice president, lie. So who was it? Was it? I'm trying to remember, was it Colonel Kurt Schlichter who said the fact that she was an FBI agent is enough right there? That's all the evidence we need that the FBI should be dismantled? I mean, this is some messed up stuff. 
messed up stuff. Um, so this former FBI special agent whose parents came here from India about four years before she was born and clearly doesn't look like she has really assimilated into what the United States of America is supposed to all be about is defending ISIS out there. Wow, man. Wow. But I'm sure they'd rehire her. I'm sure they would rehire her in a heartbeat. But again, pretty sure the pilot didn't even say, let's go Brandon in the first place. All right? Pretty sure. Uh, the great Matt Walsh over the blaze says, every major corporation in America openly supports radical left-wing causes and promotes them at every opportunity. But now that one pilot on one airline on one plane said one thing critical of Joe Biden, we're supposed to feel unsafe and afraid. Yeah. That's the way they roll. That's the way they roll. Now, oh, no, I'm sorry. We already played it. Southwest launches internal investigation into Let's Go Brandon incident. Yeah. Patrick Riley over at the, <laughs> the New York Post. This is so funny. Southwest Airlines will conduct an internal investigation into a pilot who was captured on video saying Let's Go Brandon over the flight's intercom. The airline said in a statement. Well, no, I don't think he did say that. Sound like Let's Go Braves. Anyway, the... um. Journalist at New York Post helpfully explains that the phrase is a tongue-in-cheek reference to an F. Joe Biden chant that erupted at a NASCAR race in Talladega earlier this year. Earlier this year? Well, just a few weeks ago, right? Well, okay, you're right. That would be earlier this year. The chant at the NASCAR race was misheard by a reporter as Let's Go Brandon, and the phrase has since been repeated by ardent Biden critics. No, she didn't mishear it. It was clear they were saying F. Joe Biden, and it was very loud. She didn't mishear it. Good grief. New York Post, you're not, spending, you're not sending your best. Come on, give me a break. The pilot's quip was caught toward the end of a flight from Houston to Albuquerque. I see. So, again, much ado over nothing to get us distracted from what's really going on, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I got stuff from last week I couldn't even get to. Kenner, Louisiana mom threatens lawsuit after teen son vaccinated at school without permission. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I did get to that one last week. I apologize, but there's so much. Now, there are some serious concerns in Virginia. You got the gubernatorial election coming up tomorrow. Glenn Youngkin is the Republican. Terry McAuffle, the great Rush Limbaugh used to call him the Clinton's bag man. He's the Democrat. 
Remember Terry, we played the last week, him saying that he doesn't believe that parents should be able to dictate what their children are taught, right? Remember that? Yesterday on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd, Terry McAuliffe. But Chuck, we have a great school system in Virginia. Dorothy and I have raised our five children. Of course, parents are involved in You raised your five children, but you sent them to private school. See, this is what they do. This is what they do. They lie by omission. What does the fact that Dorothy and you raised five kids have to do with the public schools they never went to? Nothing. The other night, my wife and I watched the latest episode of that impeachment miniseries over on the FX network. Monica Lewinsky is the executive producer of. And you get down to Ken Starr interrogating Clinton and Clinton saying, well, it all depends upon what the meaning of the word is, is. So McAuliffe can say, I didn't lie. I didn't say we sent our kids to public school. But Chuck, we have a great school system in Virginia. Dorothy and I have raised our five children. Of course, parents are involved in. He implied it, though, and he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's not like Biden. McAuliffe actually has brain cells left. Speaking of McAuliffe and uh, schools. Our school boards were fine. As soon as Glenn Youngkin got nominated, all of a sudden these people started showing up, creating such a ruckus. Now, the great Arthur Schwartz comments on that. Terry McAuliffe thinks it's fine that a Virginia school board tried to cover up the rape of a 15-year-old girl in a school bathroom. Seems to not understand what all the ruckus is about because he sent his kids to private school. Just fine. Now, speaking of the uh, gubernatorial election in Virginia, did you see what they did? Was it Friday morning or Saturday morning? They had five people out there carrying tiki torches like the the folks did in the march on Charlottesville a few years ago. You have five people posing as white supremacists. You know, if they had sent five white guys, it might have gotten away with it, but I think people started getting suspicious because there are three white guys, one white woman and a black guy all posing as white supremacists. And turns out they all work for the uh, Virginia Young Democrats. And boy, I tell you what, they were taking their tweets private and deleting their Instagram accounts and all kinds of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because Fairfax County, Virginia, has already said, well, we might not have our totals until Friday, you know. Yeah, might not be able to finish counting till Friday. Well, I mean, they they need a few days to know how many they're going to need, right? They need a few days to know how many they're going to need. Will we ever learn? Will we ever learn? Um, Josh Krushauer 
over the hotline has a quote from a New York Times reporter, Jeremy W. Peters, says, why concerns over school curriculum in Virginia aren't just a right-wing issue? Glenn Miller, lawyer from McLean, Virginia, beautiful area in uh, North Virginia, said, I'm a Hillary Biden voter. As he walked into a Glenn Youngkin rally in southern Fairfax County on Saturday night that drew more than 1,000 people, he explained his tipping point, though. Working from home and hearing his teenage daughter's teacher make a comment during a virtual lesson about white men as modern-day slaveholders. This guy voted for Biden and Hillary. He said, there are a lot of people like me who are annoyed. He added he was able to vote for Mr. Youngkin because he did not associate him as a Trump Republican. He said, my problem with Trump was I thought he was embarrassing. I just don't think Youngkin is going to embarrass me or the state. Wow. New York Times reporter also said at the Youngkin events, it was unclear how many people were voters like Mr. Miller, the former Biden supporter, now voting for the Republican. Many said they were committed Republicans, and the crowd, the crowds were more diverse than Republican events typically are. Okay. Now, this goes back to something I've been saying for years, but I haven't said it yet on our live stream slash podcast. When you look at this guy who said he voted for Hillary and he voted for Biden, and the main reason he didn't vote for Trump was that he thought he was embarrassing, but he's planning on voting for the Republican for Virginia governor because he doesn't think he's going to be an embarrassment. Okay? Now, if you're sitting there going, okay, wait a minute, my head is about to explode. Because this doesn't make any sense to me. Because Hillary and Biden stand for things that are the polar opposites of what Trump or any Republican would stand for, including the Republican running for governor. How can this guy say his main concern is whether somebody's going to embarrass him or not, as opposed to the actual issues? And he's actually an attorney, so he's not a stupid man, okay? Well, I'll tell you. And remember this. Remember where you heard this. There are millions of people in this country who vote for president every four years. They might even vote for governor when there's a gubernatorial election that does not correspond with a presidential election like what's going on in Virginia. Okay, but they don't pay attention to what's actually going on. They have no interest in where the candidates stand on issues. They just go with whoever they think is not going to embarrass them. They just go with whoever comes across better on television as being comfortable in his own skin. They just go with whoever they think, well, okay, that's the guy I could hang out with at a backyard cookout and have a beer or a soda or whatever with. But the other guy, <laughs> I don't think so. It's not even about the issues. I mean, proof positive right there. A guy who says he voted for Hillary, he voted for Biden. You figure he's probably a registered Democrat. He's a lawyer. 
in North Virginia. But the only reason he didn't vote for Trump was because eh, Trump was embarrassing. But I like this guy, this Republican guy running for governor. I don't think he's going to embarrass us. As if it's all a personality contest. It has nothing to do with, well, what will this person do as governor? What will this person do as president? Nope. Not even about the issues. It's about how they come across on television. I'm telling you, and I know this is difficult for you to wrap your mind around because if you're listening to the Doc Washburn show right now, you are probably pretty politically involved. You're probably really paying attention and have been for many years. But I'm telling you, there are millions of people in this country, let's go way back, who voted for Jimmy Carter in 1976 instead of Gerald Ford because Gerald Ford was always falling down and Chevy Chase on Saturday Night Live uh, <laughs> started a cottage industry impersonating Gerald Ford falling over stuff. And Jimmy Carter comes on flashing the, uh, the big grin, I'll never lie to you. And people are like, oh, let's go with this guy, man. Let's go with this guy. Give him a shot. And then the same people who voted for Carter in 76, a lot of them, voted for Reagan in 80 and 84. Because by the time Reagan rolls around, Carter's not looking like this smiling guy. He's talking about some general malaise in the country and looks dour. And Reagan's flashing the big smile saying, morning again in America. People are like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy who's comfortable in his own skin. Reagan, not Carter. Reagan, not Mondale. And they vote for George H.W. Bush in 88. We'll never know how many of them voted for him because they wanted the third Reagan term and how many voted for them for uh, George H.W. Bush because they saw Michael Dukakis looking like an idiot, looking like some kind of uh, Lego Tonka toy riding around in that tank with that little helmet on, right? People saw Dukakis, and they're like, uh, this guy's not serious, man. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he should be in charge. And then in 92, you got Clinton, who studied videos of Reagan. He couldn't do the voice, of course, because Clinton's voice is what it is. But he had the mannerisms of Reagan. Well, and of course, uh, no, at 92, Clinton doesn't get elected in 92 unless Ross Perot jumps in to take a lot of votes away from the Republican incumbent president. As a great liberal columnist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Molly Ivins said back then, liberals liked Ross Perot's stand on abortion and gun control, and conservatives couldn't believe that a guy with a haircut like that and an accent like that could possibly be a liberal, but he was. But Ross Perot would just talk about waste, fraud, and abuse. We got to do something about it. Larry, can I finish a sentence? Larry, please. Um, so, you know, th- there was the three-man race there. Perot shaved enough votes away from Bush that Clinton got in. And then 96, 96, remember, you got Dole, as Republican nominee, not because people thought he had a chance to win, not because he 
could come across well on television, but because it was his turn. So you got Bob Dole. Stop lying about my war record, see? Oh, a wise guy. I want And you got Clinton doing his best Reagan impersonation, tilting his head to the side just like Reagan would. Well, there you go again, Bob. I tell you, I think Americans are uh, like the way the economy's going. Who comes across better on television? Clinton, not Dole. In 2000, the Democrats decide it's Al Gore's turn, and uh, Al Gore was just stiff and had no emotion and did not come across well on television. Al Gore goes on the Oprah show, right? And he's very uncomfortable around Oprah. George W. Bush goes on Oprah's show. Hey, man, come here, give me a hug. And people are like, okay, well, Bush is the, the guy, obviously, who's you know more in touch with his feelings, comes across better on television. 2004, again, you got Bush versus Kerry. Kerry, I fought in Vietnam. I mean, the fact that that was even close was kind of scary. 2008, you got Obama. What did Biden call him at the time? The first clean, articulate, uh, good-looking, nice-speaking uh, black candidate? Of course, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton are like, well, we don't take showers? He's the first clean one? What? But you got Obama, who comes across well on television, against McCain, right? My French. My French. Don't reach across the aisle. My French. Barack Obama's decent America. My French. And people are like, who's the hunchback over there? And they vote for Obama. 2012, if the election had been held after the first debate, Mitt Romney would have beat Obama because he took his head off. By the third debate, Mitt Romney's sitting there for an hour and a half talking about how, how uh, similar he and Obama are, and people are like, well, if this is just going to be Obama light, then why not go with the real thing? 2016, Trump was deadly on television. He just crushed Hillary on television. Yeah, because you'd be in jail. And people were like, yes! Finally, somebody. And Hillary, the one thing she could not fake was sincerity. And so people didn't buy Hillary, okay? And in 2020, of course, they stole it for Biden. But anyway, my point is, if you're confused as to why a lawyer in Northern Virginia who voted for Biden, who voted for Hillary, is going to vote for the Republican for governor, I try to explain it to you. There's something about McAuliffe he doesn't trust. Glenn Youngkin looks like a decent guy, and, is, and, 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 the, and the only, he says the only reason he didn't vote for Trump was because he thought it was embarrassing. Had nothing to do with the economy. What he what he's gonna do in office. No, 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 no. And you have to wrap your mind around the idea that there are millions of Americans who do not consider how this person is going to govern either either, either in the White House or in the governor's mansion. It's all about who comes across better on television. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you. I'll give you another example. 
So in the state of Arkansas, where I used to do the local talk show, there are two women running for the Republican nomination for governor next year. I don't know who the uh, sacrificial lamb is the Democrats are going to put up. I didn't even pay attention to that. But the two women are uh, Leslie Rutledge, who has been the attorney general of Arkansas uh, since uh, January of 2015. And then Mike Huckabee's daughter, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was press secretary for President Trump. And they both have a lot of television commercials running, um, but Sarah's got a lot more money to do better television commercials. And I have no doubt she will get the nomination for governor in the state of Arkansas, Republican nomination, and she will be the next governor in Arkansas. And well, no, in her case, it's not just because she has better television commercials. Um, I'm again, when I did the local show in Little Rock, Arkansas, I had people call me who did not like Sarah Huckabee Sanders' dad, Mike Huckabee, that much, but they couldn't wait for her to be governor. And I asked why. Well, because she was Trump's press secretary, so she's going to be just like Trump. Okay. No, I, I don't have a dog in that hunt. I, I have no idea. You know, I'm still a, a, a resident, uh, you know, uh, registered voter in Arkansas. I have no idea who I'm going to vote for in, in that in that primary. And that, that's not my point. My point is, how do they come across on television? Well, what is Leslie Rutledge going to do about this issue? What is Sarah Huckabee Sanders going to do about that issue? That doesn't even enter into it. It's who's coming across better on television. And, of course, uh, Sarah is... You know, they just think, oh, great. She she voted for Trump. She worked for Trump, so that's who I'm going to vote for. Anyway, uh, have I beat that one to death? Yeah, I think I think probably so. <laughs> I think probably so. Hang on a second. I got I to gotta get a sip of something. We'll do this real quick. This is less than 30 seconds, quick and painless. You're listening to The Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download to your smartphone. The show is also available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call Call us at 866-609-3711. All right. Very good. Very good. Now, uh, we got to talk about the VAX a little bit. Okay. We got to talk about the VAX a little bit. And this is... um, This one is is heartbreaking. Um. So there was an MD out there on, on Twitter back in May who said, I'm an anesthesiologist and all five of my little gingers will be vaccinated as soon as they're eligible. A lady responded to that and said, I'm a teacher with a few science degrees. All three of my kiddos will be vaccinated as soon as they are eligible. And then, oh my goodness. And then she had a picture of her son holding up his vaccine card with a mask on. But then on June 24, 
She said, my son was one of the unlucky ones, and he developed myocarditis after his second dose. He was monitored in the hospital for three days. I am not making light of it, and I can't pretend to know what pain he felt. However, I asked him if he is still happy to be vaccinated. His answer was a resounding yes. My younger two children will will also be vaccinated when eligible. I am much more fearful of the Delta variant, the Delta variant, and MIS dash three. So, that's June twenty fourth, July sixteenth. She says, "Okay, I'm not an expert. As a parent, I don't think that the risk of myocarditis and its severity is being adequately conveyed. I had no idea." that mild meant four days in the hospital and cardiology visits for the indefinite future. Different issue, I guess. Then on July 22nd, in response to a guy who says COVID-19 vaccine shots are free and hospitals have to pay nurses and doctors to keep stupids alive from getting a preventable virus, she responds, I have to pay for my son's hospital bill and endless cardiology follow-ups because he got post-vaccine myocarditis. That's not free. The next day, July 24th, she says, Twitter is brutal. From the beginning, I have advocated for vaccination as I believe it's a way to control this pandemic. However, when I share that my son got myocarditis from his vaccine, I get blocked. I'm sorry my son's AE doesn't fit your agenda. Oh, boy. The next day, July 25th, she says, my son's hospital bills are starting to roll in from his vaccine-induced myocarditis. This is just the first of many, and only one of his consults. I imagine we will owe thousands just dealing with the acute phase of myocarditis, and she posted a bill for $407. She says this does not account for his follow-up visits, echoes, EKGs, MRIs, stress tests, troponin levels, etc. It's very disheartening that the vaccine safety is touted to the public at every turn, but what about when it's not safe? Like in my son's case. Those experts and officials now bear zero responsibility, financially or otherwise. The burden is all on us, physical, mental, and financial. July 27th, she talks about her son's new shirt, which says, came for immunity and all I got was myocarditis and a mask. October 8th, she says, I used to shame. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, this, uh, this was going to be kind of tough. On October 8th, she said, I used to shame people for not getting vaccinated until my son was hospitalized with vaccine-induced myocarditis. Life has a way of humbling you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. 
On October 9th, she said, my daughter will likely still be getting vaccinated after I discuss it with her doctor, which everyone should do. It's adolescent and young adult males that have the predisposition for this AE. Bless her heart, she, she still trusts them. She still trusts them. <sighs> Had dinner with a friend the other night. Um, he told me about talking to his doctor at a very large hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'll say it, uh, Baptist Health Center. And he asked his doctor about ivermectin, and he said it was a, almost immediately. Oh, well, I wish there was something to it, but there's not. Like a knee-jerk reaction. And I told him, he's lying to you. He's lying to you. So there's a state in India called Uttar Pradesh. You know, the United States has 50 states. India has 36 states. Most people don't know that. Uttar Pradesh is the most populous state in India. 240 million people. And they've been giving out uh, ivermectin like candy. I think since early this year, months and months and months. And they recently announced that um, they're COVID-free in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh. COVID-free. But you got doctors in major hospitals like Baptist Medical Center down in Little Rock, Arkansas, saying, no, nah, I wish there was something to it, but no, there's, there's not. There have been all kinds of studies, all kinds of studies. It works. Ivermectin works. But again, at the radio station, I used to do a, a local talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas. The chief epidemiologist for the health department for the whole state comes on and says, well, the problem is there are no studies. Sure there are, honey. You're lying. Andrew Boyd, MD, over there on Twitter, Vinton County FQHC, not sure what state that's in. He says, caught COVID from a masked vaccinated patient. Aches and chills began 14 days ago, followed by fatigue. I'm fine now. All my kids have now had it. None had symptoms that lasted more than 48 hours. But just found out I'll be terminated from my job if I'm not vaccinated by December 15th. Well, that sounds familiar to me. He says, I have natural immunity from symptomatic COVID. We don't know how long it will last because the studies to date don't show when it will wane. I have antibodies in B cells and T cells against multiple COVID antigens that will make my next bout even milder. I've worked at the same federal health center in a health professional shortage area for the past 13 years. Our governing board has now declared me unsafe to see patients. Meanwhile, other staff more than six months out from their Pfizer shots are considered clean. Recent estimates of Pfizer immunity that far out range from 20 to 47%. Anyone hiring board certified family docs with natural immunity? He says, I've encouraged all my at-risk patients to get vaccinated, but highly vaccinated countries 
have proven COVID will not go away with high vaccine uptake. That's right. He says, for those asking or wondering, I examined a symptomatic patient who obtained a positive COVID test the following day. My symptoms, my symptoms began three and a half days after their visit with me. Yeah. Oh, today's the day that um, apparently thousands of New York police officers are walking rather than getting a shot, right? Did you see the video over the weekend of all these uh, prime ministers of different countries all together getting their group picture taken with their masks on? And as soon as they snap the shot, not realizing the video cameras are going on, they all pull their masks off. It's theater. It's theater. And that's all it is. That's all it is. And it's, uh, it's horrific. You know, if they really believed... It was that deadly, that dangerous, that contagious. They wouldn't act like they do. But they don't. And uh, they torment the rest of us. Now, speaking of which, and, and we'll get to some other stuff here in a second, but I got, I got a couple of clips. I got a couple of clips I got to play for you. Remember when Dementia Joe said this? The, the various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Well, I'm reminded of uh, Richard Nixon's press secretary toward the end, Ron Nesson, who would say things like, oh, that statement is no longer operative. Yeah, because uh, Biden's press secretary, Jen Psaki, fully vaccinated and has COVID now. But look, you got to understand, lying has never bothered Joe Biden, okay? Never bothered Joe Biden. Here's what I've been trying to get to um, since last week. KGTV in San Diego. Encanto woman falls ill after first vaccine dose dies of COVID. Really? Well, that they said that wasn't supposed to happen. Loved ones mourning the COVID death of an Encanto mother who passed away a day after turning 50. As ABC 10 News reporter Michael Chen found out, she started feeling symptoms days after receiving her first vaccine dose. But wait till they wait. We'll when just... Maria Troutman first qualified for a COVID vaccine, she hesitated. Her daughter, Crystal Keller, says years ago after a flu shot. She didn't want to feel like that again. She couldn't get out of bed for days. But on September 12th, Troutman did get her first Pfizer dose after a vaccine mandate at her husband's work. If he has to get vaccinated, then she, then she will too. Days later, she started feeling sick. Fever. Um, chills. Six days after the vaccine dose, she was admitted with COVID pneumonia. In early October, Troutman, who had several underlying conditions, including diabetes, was placed on a ventilator. On October 18th, one day after her 50th birthday. I kept repeating, I kept repeating, Mom, please, 
wake up, don't leave me yet. Troutman, a mother and stepmother to six, passed away. The best way I could ex- I could describe it, explain it was I felt like a part of me, all- a part of me also died. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. She's hospitalized with uh, COVID pneumonia six days after getting the shot. But see, they promised us that this wasn't going to happen, didn't they? They promise a lot of things, don't they? Medical, quote, experts, unquote, uh, have a history of doing that, don't they? If you haven't listened to episode 13 yet, you're going to want to. I'm just saying. Keller calls her mom a devoted mother, selfless, smart, and funny. And she loved to like make people uh, laugh and smile. The devastating loss of her mother is something Keller believes could have been avoided if she had received her vaccine earlier. I- Wait, what? What? So it's mom's fault she died. I feel and I believe that that if she had gotten vaccinated, that she would not be alive today. But they tell us that if you get the vaccine, you might still get COVID, but it won't be as bad. Not that you'll die. Bless her heart, her poor daughter trusts the government, trusts the healthcare establishment more than she trusts her mother. That's mom's fault. She should have gotten vaccinated earlier and then she wouldn't have died. The idea that there might possibly be some negative result from getting the vaccine, she it's too painful. She can't allow herself to think this. For others, this straightforward plea. Get vaccinated ASAP. For others, I don't want them to feel the pain I went through. Michael Jen, ABC 10 News. Keller, who is vaccinated, also tested positive for COVID and suffered mild symptoms. A GoFundMe campaign has been set up to help the family with expenses. There is a link on our homepage at 10news.com. Your mom gets vaccinated and is admitted to the hospital six days later with COVID pneumonia, and you're telling people, get vaccinated. Um, that's just insane. Somebody, somebody put together this. I don't, I don't remember who did this, but, to, you know, talk about vaccine logic. Check this out. Get the vaccine? No. Why didn't you get it? What if you catch COVID? The vaccine doesn't stop you from catching COVID. Why are you being so selfish? What if you catch it and give it to me? But you've been vaccinated. Yeah, but you can still give it to me. What's the vaccine for then? It'll stop you from getting really sick and dying if you catch it. So if I catch it and give it to you, but you've already had the vaccine, it'll still stop you from getting really sick and dying. Exactly. That's why you should get it. That's why I should get it. But you got it already. But if you catch it, you could get sick and die. So by not getting the vaccine, the only person I'm putting at risk is myself of getting sick and dying. No, you're putting me at risk. Did you already get the vaccine so you won't get sick and die, even if I gave it to you? But you could give it to someone who can't be vaccinated. But so could someone who's been vaccinated because the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting COVID. That's when the crickets come in. None of it makes sense. But see, part of the problem is that too many of us 
haven't been taught to think, right? Too many of us have not been taught to think. We've just been taught to accept what we're told. Now, perhaps not taught to accept what we're told overtly. We just we just kind of pick it up, right? We just kind of pick it up. Well, they said this, right? The CDC said this, right? So clearly that's got to be, right? I'll never forget. I lived in Austin, Texas in the early 90s. And somehow or another, I got in a political conversation with a guy who was checking me out in an H-E-B grocery store. I don't remember how I got in the conversation. But it was about abortion. And he was talking about one candidate. I was talking, I was in favor of the other candidate. And he said, well, she's not pro, pro-abortion. She's just pro-choice. And I said, look, I want root canal to remain legal. So that makes me pro-root canal. You and your candidate want it to be legal to kill babies. That makes you pro-abortion. I mean, don't, don't give me euphemisms. Ain't nobody got time for that. Don't give me euphemisms. It is what it is. Okay? Give me a break. Crazy Pozo Christie over at Wall Street Journal has a short little op-ed. She's a diagnostic radiologist and a policy advisor for the Catholic Association. Has a short little op-ed. The Wall Street Journal. The obsolete science behind Roe v. Wade. And she says, the Supreme Court will soon reconsider the decision of Roe v. Wade, 1973, which made abortion legal in America through all nine months of pregnancy. As Justice Harry Blackman put it in Roe, at that point in the development of, of man's knowledge, there was simply no consensus about when life begins. In other words, the fetus could not be said with any certainty to be alive and therefore wasn't worthy of legal protection, according to Justice Blackman, right? She says, as a diagnostic radiologist whose youngest patients are fetuses who are very much alive. I submitted a friend of the court brief in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization urging the justices to rethink Roe, a case premised on a claim about science. Pardon me. She says, I was joined by two other female physicians a neonatologist and an obstetrician who also value their youngest patients, believing that whether inside their mothers or born, premature or full term, they are worthy of respect and protection. Ultrasound technology was in its infancy in the 1970s when there was much more uncertainty about life before birth. The first ultrasound machines 
introduced in 1958, were enormous, and the images were rudimentary. It was only in the later 1970s that fetal ultrasound became widely available with increasingly detailed images of recognizably human babies. Black and white ultrasound images are now found on refrigerators of expected parents across America. New three-dimensional images have put a human face on the person once dehumanized as a mere clump of cells. Perfectly apparent now to the justices sitting on today's court, as well as the public, are the liveliness and humanity of babies at 15 weeks of gestation, the age at which Mississippi proposes to protect them from elective termination. Uh, pardon me, I have to do something here real quickly. We had the heat on when uh, we started going this morning, and now we need to move to the AC because it's getting beastly hot back here. So, uh, Mansoor or Brian, um, one of you guys mind changing from heat to AC, set it at about 70, and maybe come in and turn the the, uh, the fan on in the studio? That would be wonderful because i got to keep doing this thing. And I can't thank you enough. Appreciate it. Nestled within their mother's, these fetuses, on average, are 6.4 inches long and weigh 4.1 ounces. They have the proportions of a newborn, seemingly all head and rounded belly. The major organs are formed and functioning, and although the child receives nutrients and oxygen, you flip the switch for the fan right there. On the wall, yeah. There you go. So we got the AC on now? Great. Thank you. The major organs are formed and functioning, and although the child receives nutrients and oxygen through the mother's umbilical cord, the fetal digestive, urinary, and respiratory systems are practicing for life outside the womb. The sex of the child is easy to discern by 15 weeks. The baby swallows and even breathes, filling the lungs with amniotic fluid and expelling it. The heart is fully formed, its four chambers working hard, with the delicate valves opening and closing. A healthy baby at 15 weeks is an active baby. Unless a child is asleep, kicking and arm-waving are commonly seen during ultrasound evaluations. The fetal spine is a marvel of intricacy, and it is most often gently curved as a fetus rests against the mother's uterine wall. Often I watch as babies plant their feet against the uterine wall and stretch vigorously. Sometimes a delicate hand with all five fingers, approaches the face and appears to scratch an itch. Fingernails aren't visible, but they are present. We can see how the bones of the leg meet the tiny ankles and the many-boned feet. At 15 weeks, the brain's frontal lobes, ventricles, and thalamus fill the oval-shaped skull. The ba baby's profile is endearing in its per petite perfection, gently sloping nose, distinct upper and lower lips, eyes that open and close. With the advent of 3D ultrasound, we can now see the fetal face in all its detail. She says, these are the patients I encounter daily in my work as a radiologist. Clearly human, clearly alive, no longer mysteriously hidden from the eyes and knowledge of man. They ask us to consider them not disposable non-humans, but valuable members of our human family. Yes, our understanding was different in 1973, but in Roe v. Wade's own terms, we have arrived at a much different point in the development of man's knowledge about life in utero. 
The Supreme Court's judgment should reflect that advancement and put an end to the casual cruelty of unfettered abortion. Yes, it should. Yes, it should. Now, what does it tell you? What does it tell you that Dr. Anthony Fauci's agency gave millions to the University of Pittsburgh to harvest fetal organs, not just from babies 15 weeks in utero, but it clearly said 42 weeks. Well, I thought the pregnancy only went 40 weeks. They were harvesting organs from live, full-term babies. Anthony Fauci is America's version of Dr. Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor. Um, the fact that he's still a free man instead of under federal indictment is, uh, I think, an indictment on our society. He really is. He really is. But there are a lot of indictments on our society, right? A lot of people concerned about um, pornography in the children's sections of school libraries and public libraries. I'm looking at an article from uh, familycouncil.org, which is uh, an organization, Family Council is an organization uh, based in the state where I used to do local talk radio, Arkansas. Last Wednesday, Family Council re- received a press release from Fort Smith, Arkansas attorney Joey McCutcheon announcing that he and his client, Amanda Eskew, had filed a Freedom of Information Act complaint in court against the Craighead, Craighead County Jonesboro Public Library Board. The lawsuit alleges that the Library Board's Sensitive Content Subcommittee violated the state's Freedom of Information Act. According to a press release from McCutcheon, the subcommittee met after learning that, quote, several books in the library's children's sector contained nudity, sexual conduct, and graphic images of various sexual acts, unquote, but failed to properly advertise the meeting to the public ahead of time as required by state law. Because the meeting was not advertised, parents and families did not know that the subcommittee was meeting to discuss the presence of sexually explicit material in the children's library, meaning they did not have an opportunity to make their voices heard about the graphic material. This is not the first time the concerns have come up about books in the children's section of the Jonesboro, Arkansas Public Library. In June, the library made headlines after placing a large selection of pro-LGBT material in its children's area. In August, the library board discussed proposals to move pro-LGBT material out of the children's area. However, those good proposals failed to pass. You know, I said, okay, below is a copy of the press release from attorney Joey McCutcheon regarding the lawsuit against the Craighead County, Jonesboro, Arkansas Public Library Board. It says, normally, 
We would link to a copy of the lawsuit itself, but the filing contains examples of the sexually explicit material allegedly featured in the Jonesboro, Arkansas Public Library children's area. Some of that material is so graphic that our team did not feel comfortable posting it on our website. So uh, if they're doing this in Jonesboro, Arkansas, you know, and you're listening from wherever you might be, we have folks listening in, in all 50 states at this point. And you think, well, yeah, but they wouldn't do that here. <laughs> really? Really? If they're doing it in Jonesboro, Arkansas, you're crazy to think they're not doing it where you live. I mean, Jonesboro, Arkansas is pretty, a uh, pretty conservative area. Let's put it that way. All right. I, I want to go back to the Vax for just a second because Doug Badger and Paul J. Larkin Jr. over at CNSnews.com had a shocking article last week. Doug Badger, former Senate and White House policy advisor, currently serves as visiting fellow of the Heritage Foundation. Paul J. Larkin Jr. heads the Heritage Foundation's project to counter criminal law abuse, especially at the federal level. As a Center for Legal and Judicial Studies senior legal research fellow, and the article's entitled, Congress Didn't Give OSHA Authority to Impose Vaccine Mandates. And they say the Occupational Safety and Health Administration is about to require 80 million working Americans to get vaccinated. You may be among them. There's just one catch. OSHA lacks the legal authority to impose a vaccine mandate, declaring that his patience was wearing thin with unvaccinated Americans Joe Biden, on September 9th, announced that OSHA would require companies with at least 100 employees to mandate that workers either get vaccinated or submit to weekly COVID-19 tests. OSHA sent a draft mandate to the White House October 8th. Oh, that was my last day uh, doing local talk radio. Before I got fired. Once the White House completes its review, OSHA will issue the order and then get sued. As we detail in our legal analysis, the courts will almost certainly strike down the OSHA vaccine mandate, and here are a few reasons why. First of all, Congress did not place vaccines within OSHA's purview. OSHA is, ex is establishing the vaccine mandate through an emergency temporary standard. This highly unusual process allows OSHA to bypass public notice and comment. Federal agencies, including OSHA, typically must submit major rules to public scrutiny before finalizing them. Number two, Congress gave the Department of Health and Human Services the task of determining the safety, efficacy, and appropriate use of vaccines. Congress authorized the FDA to determine whether vaccines should be allowed in interstate, comment, uh, co interstate commerce and empower the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to recommend who should receive such vaccines. Okay, so the FDA and the CDC are part of HHS, but OSHA is in the Department of Labor. Congress has given neither OSHA nor the Labor Department authority over vaccines. You know, I guys, should I have turned the uh, the ringer off on my phone before I uh, went on the air? Probably so. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. 
I'm not, I'm not intentionally trying to be a Luddite. I just, uh, you know, mechanically and technologically challenged and things that, you know, would occur to normal people don't occur to me. So Congress did not give HHS the authority to impose a general vaccine mandate. While HHS has regulatory jurisdiction over vaccines, it has no power to impose a general vaccine mandate. If it had, the president would have directed HHS to tell employers to require their workforces to be immunized. If Congress did not authorize the agency to empower to regulate vaccines to mandate their use, OSHA, which has no such power, certainly lacks that authority. If Congress meant to give an agency authority to issue a general vaccine mandate, mandate it would have enacted a law conferring and defining that authority. It goes on and on and on, but... I'll put it on my Facebook page. I mean, it's just, but again, 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 I go back to this. They don't care. They don't care what the law is. They couldn't care less. You know, they're trying to do everything they possibly can to get over on us, all right? Oh, by the way, by the way, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know who needs to hear this, but Iceland. Iceland is the fourth most vaccinated nation on earth, 81% fully vaccinated, but somehow they've had two consecutive waves of infection after vaccinating more than 75% of the population and cases continue to grow exponentially. How about that? How about that? Now, you know what the problem is with a piece of information like that? The problem is that the people who want you to be fired for not getting the, the jab, they don't care. Not not only do they not care, they're all about the narrative. It doesn't matter. They don't want to hear about it. Across all of north-central Europe, cases have begun to rise with the start of the winter respiratory virus season, with Sweden being the notable exception. Sweden, the place with no lockdowns, no vax mandate, no mask mandate. Oddly, Belgium, 74% of their population is vaccinated, is doing much worse than Poland, where only 53% are vaccinated. I wonder how they could possibly be. Singapore is the fifth most vaccinated country on earth with 80% of the population fully vaccinated. Oddly, they also have the 14th highest rate of infection in the whole world, currently with exponential growth. How could that possibly be? Almost, almost makes you wonder if it's a feature, not a bug. Anyway, <clears throat> hat tip to humble analysis over in Twitter who brings the receipts, who links to all this stuff. I just had to follow that guy. Had to follow that guy. Uh, a woman that I quote often on the Doc Washburn Show podcast is Emerald Robinson, the great White House press secretary. Not press secretary, pardon me. 
I wish he were. The great White House correspondent for Newsmax, Emerald Robinson, says, yes, it's a political battle and a cultural battle, but it is first and foremost a spiritual battle. Pray that God grants you wisdom and discernment. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, Here's what she says about vaccine mandates. Today I'm announcing that the state of Iowa is filing a lawsuit to challenge President Biden's unprecedented use of the government to force every employee of every federal contractor in America, including thousands of Iowans, to take a vaccine against their wishes. It's an abuse of power and we won't stand for it. It pits Americans against Americans and it will only worsen the workforce shortage and supply chain issues that hinder our economic recovery. And it furthers the unprecedented government intrusion into our lives. Today we join nine other states in this lawsuit which was filed in federal court and this won't be our last legal action on this topic. When the Biden administration issues its OSHA vaccine mandate we'll head to court again. I believe the vaccine is the best defense against COVID-19 but no one should be forced to choose between making a living or standing up for their personal beliefs. As long as I'm governor the state of Iowa will always stand alone alongside Iowans and to be sure that their freedoms are protected. Now, don't you wish you had a governor like that? Uh, if, if you're saying, well, Doc, I'm in Florida. I do have a governor like that. Oh, well, then good. Then good. Great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Don't you wish you had a pres- uh, president like that? Instead of Biden over the UN climate change deal, or after his speech, he admits taking questions from a prepared list. I'm told I should start with this reporter. Oh boy! By the way, hat tip to Bongino report. They had the uh, the Biden thing there. Oh boy, what's up with the brother Bongino? On Dan Bongino's Twitter account, he is uh, linking to an article from Radio Inc., very short article. Several affiliates have told Radio Inc. that Dan Bongino's syndicated show will be best of again this week. One program director said Westwood One informed him that Bongino chose to take this week off. The conservative talker was not live last week either. As he battles with cumulus over the COVID-19 mandate, One station owner told us having Bongino in best of shows is not less than optimal. He said, there are things that need to be talked about right now. Week old news is past its freshness date. Trying to sound current by discussing things two weeks old is worse than trying to stay up to date by reading a newspaper. Bongino has said he has no plans to let this go. He said Cumulus is going to have to make a decision about his show if they want to continue the partnership. Cumulus and Westwood One have not commented publicly on the situation. Bongino has more leverage than most. Ain't that the truth? I didn't have any leverage when I was doing local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas, that's for sure. So God bless him. Bongino has more leverage than most. The former NYPD officer and Secret Service agent is also a best-selling author, is a host on Fox News with his own program, 
on Saturday nights, and before partnering with Cumulus was a, was a successful podcaster, he said it's unfortunate that people that are not heard on over 300 stations have been summarily shown the door or have been put in an untenable position because they want to make a medical decision by themselves. God bless them. I, th- this is this is unprecedented, okay? I don't know how to express to you what a big deal this is that Dan Bongino, who is already vaccinated because he is a cancer survivor and his doctor told him to get vaccinated, that he's putting it all on the line for people like me who were fired by a company that didn't care whether we had natural immunity, fired by a company that didn't care if we had a religious exemption, fired by a company that wanted to, uh, to force us to take an experimental drug, which in my mind, in my opinion, violates the Nuremberg Code. And Bongino, with millions on the line, millions on the line, Puts his money where his mouth is. I can't think of another situation like this racking my brain where somebody with that much money at stake chooses to stand up for his fellow broadcasters. I've never heard anything like it before. Dan Bongino has my undying respect. And my prayers, and I hope he has your prayers too. Okay, from the uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Did you hear what Dementia Joe said over the weekend? When 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 the cost of a gallon of gasoline gets to above three hundred three hundred three dollars and thirty five cents a gallon, it has profound impact on working class families just to get back and forth to work. So I don't see anything inconsistent with that. But I do think that the idea that Russia and Saudi Arabia and other major producers are not going to pump more oil so people can have gasoline to get to and from work, for example, is uh, is is it, 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 not, not right. Somebody refresh my memory. Who was it that shut down the Keystone XL pipeline as soon as he took office, as soon as he was installed by those who stole the election to uh, radically and immediately increase Gas prices at the pump all over America. Was that Russia? Was that Saudi Arabia? Who was it that didn't like the fact that we didn't have to import gas anymore? And that we were pumping so much that we became an exporter. Who was it that made that decision? Was that uh, Russia? Was Saudi Arabia? Now, if you're thinking the person that made that decision is Joe Biden, um, you would be wrong. Look, 
if you still think Biden is in charge in the White House, I can't help you. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, he's clearly a figurehead. He's the patsy. He's the puppet. Uh, and he doesn't mind to the extent that he understands what's going around him. And, you know, that's diminishing each day. Oh, oh! Did you hear what he said over the weekend in Italy? <clears throat> he said, now I'm going to turn it over to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who's going to make sure the trains run on time. Now, I want to see a show of hands, okay? I want to see a show of hands. Does anybody understand why it might be inappropriate, why it might be awkward to say such a thing in Italy, of all places. Okay, time's up. Um, the great uh, dictator Il Duce, Benito Mussolini, was said to have made sure the trains ran on time. That was kind of like the silver lining in the cloud of his horrible reign over Italy. You know what happened uh, when they took him out? They hung him and his girlfriend upside down from uh, what, street lights at a gas station. I think they shot him first. Il Duce, Benito Mussolini, um, not really uh not really a popular guy in Italy, you know. You don't want to quote him. You don't even want to quote anything that anybody said about him. Probably, probably not a good idea. Okay. All right. Now, who knows who Klaus Klaus Schwab is? Founder and executive chairman, World Economic Forum. Now, remember, World Economic Forum said late last year, by the year 2030, you won't own anything and you won't have any privacy, but you'll be so much happier. Remember? Now, the current regime in office, they're down with that. They're trying to take away all our freedom and everything we own. But... The former president was not down with that. However, there are plenty of people out there who didn't like the fact that the former president made it feel uncomfortable, and so they're willing to go with a guy who's going to uh, try to finish the job on America. Dementia Joe and whoever is pulling his strings. Now, frankly, as a Christian, I'm an optimist. I've read the end of the book. I know who wins. But in the meantime, things are really bumpy and probably going to get bumpier. Klaus Schwab gave this little blurb over the weekend, implementing stakeholder capitalism. Yeah, right. Here he is. I think one lesson which we take out of this uh, crisis is this notion of mutual interdependence. Because even as individuals, we had to be, take care not to infect someone else and not to be infected. 
And the same we have to apply now on a global level. As long as not everybody is vaccinated, nobody will be safe. I think one. Okay, there it is. They don't want a control group. They don't want a control group. They're determined to end unvaccinated as a control group. The population control nuts convinced everyone they were going to die from a virus with a 99.7% recovery rate and a 78-year-old median age of death. The damage done with the vaccine is just being felt. By the way, hat tipped a gym bear over in New Jersey. They don't want a control group. I've said it before. Again, Emerald Robinson over at Newsmax says it. Klaus Schwab wants to pursue a program of universal vaccination because that's how the elites will tag and track you, control your assets, and rule over you in a global surveillance state. Again, again. You know, you could say, oh, conspiracy theorist. Oh, where's your tinfoil hat? Oh, you sitting there waiting for the mothership convention? Connection? But it was the World Economic Forum itself which said, by 2030, you're not going to own anything. You're not going to have any privacy, but you'll be so much happier. All right? I'm not making it up. Emerald Robinson is not making it up. And here's the dementia patient. With regard to the disappointment, the disappointment relates to the fact that Russia and uh, and uh, and uh, including uh, not only Russia, but China, basically didn't show up. He can't remember China. He can't remember China. So there's a world-famous soccer player who a month ago was encouraging young kids to get vaccinated. Sergio Aguero, Barcelona. The Barcelona team confirms that Sergio has been admitted to a hospital for a cardiac exam after he experienced chest discomfort during their game against Alaves. Get well soon, Sergio. A month ago, encouraging young kids to get the vax. Wow. I don't ever want you to say, why didn't you warn us? I don't ever want you to say, why didn't you tell us? So that's what I try to do. That's what I try to do. I I try to shoot straight. I try to let you know what's going on. Andrew Boston, the great MD. I know I'm going to mispronounce this. Guillain-Barre syndrome after COVID-19 vaccination in an adolescent. Large-scale epidemiologic studies are required to determine if COVID-19 vaccination increases the risk of that syndrome in this population, but they're not doing it. Well, yeah, uh, Steve Dace over the blaze says they're going to do that study, except in real time on the kids by injecting them, as the FDA announced last week. Yeah. Yeah, that's the deal. 
you get the jab, you're part of the test. You're part of the test. That's the deal. So Biden Saturday walks up to a lot of other world leaders with a mask on, and when he gets right up to them face-to-face, like just right in their faces, he pulls the mask down to talk to them. I mean, if you're still one of those people who puts a mask on and go to the grocery store, God bless you. I can't help you. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, is it okay if I play a little bit of uh, Rand Paul Sunday morning futures yesterday with uh, the great Maria Bartiromo? I should say the great Rand Paul also. I, I think you probably want to hear a little bit of this. This this just weeks after Anthony Fauci misled Senator Rand Paul when asked if he sent taxpayer money to Wuhan to test where the viruses can become more deadly in gain of function research. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments that were given in the annual reports that were published in the literature, it is molecularly impossible. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. it no is one is molecularly those viruses caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. That you is can't not get away from it. It meets your definition, and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. Senator you are the one. Joining me right now is the senator himself, Senator Rand Paul. He's the ranking member on the Senate's Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship. And, Senator, good morning to you. Thanks so much for being here this morning. morning. So you stuck to your guns. You had facts on your side. Uh, Anthony Fauci has been exposed. Will there be any accountability here, Senator? You know, even the NIH admitted this week that uh, basically they did merge viruses and they became more dangerous. That's gain of function. They gained lethality. I don't think Fauci's ever going to admit it. You've seen Merrick Garland performing live. I don't think he's ever going to prosecute him. But this is a big, big question. If this came out of the lab in Wuhan, what if a worse uh, virus comes out of a lab? There's a uh, uh, professor at MIT, Kevin Esfeld, who's not a partisan, who wrote in the Washington Post recently, not a conservative journal, but he wrote that this type of research could threaten civilization. And there hasn't been one hearing. I've been asking Democrats to have a hearing on gain-of-function research so this doesn't happen again. You know, we do this research in the United States. This is a big, big question. This disease we're facing has a 1% mortality. What if we got a contagion that leaks in the lab that has a 50% mortality? They're actually doing experiments as we speak with viruses that have 50% mortality. That shouldn't be happening. You get it? Do you get it yet? Are you awake yet? And I, I, I urge you to go on YouTube or the Fox News website or whatever and... Um, and check out the rest of the, the, the interview. Some people, some people are trying to speak up about what's going on. You know? Some people are. We're trying to help here. Trying to get your attention. All right, uh, let me... Um, 
couple more things we need to do before we get out of here. Let's uh, let's take a look at what legal insurrection is saying about the um, the arguments before the Supreme Court today and the Texas fetal heartbeat law because that's that's just as important as anything else I'm talking about. It's more important. The great William A. Jacobson, legal insurrection. U.S. Supreme Court heard oral argument today. Two cases challenging the Texas fetal heartbeat law. The law bans abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected, but leaves enforcement to private lawsuits. The lack of government enforcement power previously caused the Supreme Court to refuse to hear the case. Author of the argument is streamed, pardon me, audio of the argument is streamed on the Supreme Court website. Some news channels also streamed the audio and they'll have a transcript published by the Supreme Court later today. SCOTUS blog has background and a preview. They say two months ago, Texas put in place the most restrictive abortion law since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973. The law, which prohibits almost all abortions in the state, has dramatically reduced access to abortion. On Monday, the court will hear arguments and two challenges to the law, and though the cases may determine whether the law can remain in effect, they appear unlikely to resolve the future of the constitutional right to abortion first recognized in Roe. The answer to that question may come in a separate abortion case involving Mississippi scheduled for argument on December 1st. Nevertheless, the two Texas cases, Whole, Whole Woman's Health versus Jackson and United States versus Texas, are among the highest profile cases and a term packed with controversial issues. Attesting to their high stakes, the justices will consider them in an extraordinary posture. They agreed to hear both cases before the Court of Appeals has fully weighed in, and they ordered an accelerated schedule for briefing and arguments not seen since the 2000 election litigation in Bush v. Gore. Did you know that? that that's, that's a big deal. Four, argue, four lawyers will argue on Monday. They include Elizabeth Prelogar, the newly confirmed Solicitor General, for the Biden administration, and Jonathan Mitchell, the chief architect of the Texas law under review. One thing not discussed during argument, whether the law violated federal abortion law. That specific issue wasn't on the docket. Rather, the main issue was whether federal courts could enjoin state court clerks from accepting filings of lawsuits under the statute since federal courts cannot enjoin state courts. Well, it sounds like they can't do it. They can't do it, right? Jacobson at Legal Insurrection says, my quick take is that the justices will find that federal courts have the power to enjoin the law, likely by enjoining the clerks from filing and processing lawsuits. It's not that anything specific was said, but the entirety of the argument was that the law was designed to evade federal court review through the unique private enforcement mechanism while at the same time achieving the result as if the state were empowered to enforce the law. I think it'll be close, but that's my feeling. He says, by the way, Texas Solicitor General Judge Stone was superb in his argument today. Outclassed the other lawyers by a lot. Whether that makes a difference remains to be seen. Well, Jenna Ellis, former counsel for the president, said, 
if this wasn't an abortion case, if the court was just going to rule on a case based on the merits presented today by the attorneys, it would be nine to nothing in favor of Texas. Anyway, Jacobson says one reason for that feeling is that Kavanaugh worried that a similar ploy could be used against other rights, such as the Second Amendment, and he used the example of a state providing a private enforcement mechanism with a $1 million damage provision for anyone who sells an AR-15. Okay, great, 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 Brett. But see, abortion is not a constitutional right. Know what I'm saying? Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. There, there are a, a number of comments here. Uh, court observer Steve Vladek says, Justice Kavanaugh asked a big question. Is this just about abortion or could states do this to other rights? Texas uh, Solicitor General Stone tries to deflect saying Congress could respond in other cases. Kavanaugh doesn't buy it. Stone concedes it doesn't turn on the nature of the right. That's an enormous concession by Texas because it undermines any argument that these procedural traps are somehow unique to the context of a restriction on abortions and could apply to rights to which the conservative justices are more sympathetic. Elena Kagan pressed Stone. She said the entire point of this law, its purpose and its effect, is to find the chink in the armor of ex parte young. Kagan, with more than a hint of sarcasm, says she doesn't buy the idea that the Supreme Court can't intervene simply because, quote, after, oh, these many years, some geniuses came up with a way to evade the commands that states are not to nullify, nullify federal constitutional rights, unquote. Again, there is no federal constitutional right to kill babies, but she says there is. She says there is. Brett Kavanaugh now returns to ex parte young, the 1908 case about the ability to bring pre-enforcement lawsuits against state officials to enjoin unconstitutional state laws. Kavanaugh invokes Justice Thomas' suggestion, suggestion at the beginning of the argument that lawsuits against state judges may not be permitted under ex parte young. Says, for me, that's been a real sticking point. Chief Justice Roberts poses a hypothetical. What if the bounty under the Texas law was $1 million instead of 10000 Do you think in that case, the chill on the conduct at issue here will be sufficient to allow federal court review prior to the state court process? Stone says no. Roberts is skeptical of Stone's answer to his million-dollar hypothetical. He says nobody's going to risk violating the statute in order to test its constitutionality when they're subject to potentially ruinous civil damages. He says that takes a lot of fortitude. Liberal law professor Jonathan Turley says, counsel challenging the Texas abortion law made a major concession in oral argument. They agreed that the court should focus on enjoining clerks rather than judges. Both Roberts and Kavanaugh noted the shift in the reply brief, and counsel agreed that they were now focusing on the clerks for any injunctive relief. They earlier asked for declaratory judgment against judges. And last but not least, SCOTUS blog says Chief Justice Roberts responds that it's hardly traditional for a federal court to issue an injunction 
that prevents state court clerks and judges from docketing state lawsuits. Prelegar, attorney for the bad guy, says, I recognize this is a novel case as because it's a novel law. Gorsuch returns to the broad nature of the injunction the federal government is seeking. He says, there's never been such an injunction in the history of the United States. Prelegar replies, in the history of the United States, no state has done what Texas has done here. So. So. We'll see what happens. A wise man once said, work like everything depends on you. Pray like everything depends on God. Okay, wait, what is this? Out of Europe, union calls for suspension of rabbit testing after toxic substance found. A union representing the rights of public sector workers has called for the suspension of rabbit tests for the coronavirus after media reports showed a swab contained multiple times the permissible trace level of ethylene oxide, a toxic substance. Yeah, I wonder where the swabs were made. Huh? I wonder where the swabs were made. My wife got a box of uh, masks a couple of years ago before the Wu flu, before the China virus, because we're going to be doing some uh, yard work. And then, you know, a year and a half ago when they're saying everybody's got to wear a mask, we took a look at the box and the masks were made in Wuhan, China. I'm sure, I'm sure they were just as clean and antiseptic. Pure as the German snow, though, right? Right? Juan Williams, token lib of Fox News, says parents' rights is code for white race politics. <laughs> and the great Ben Shapiro says, please, Democrats, campaign on this, please. I'm begging you, please. <laughs> yeah, you roll with that, man. You roll with that. Um, I got to mention this because um, Julie Kelly, the wonderful Julie Kelly over at American Greatness, who has brought so much attention to the January 6th political prisoners that hardly any Republican in Congress will mention. She's got an article that came out the other day called The Freakout over Tucker's January 6th documentary begins. And this was, this was Thursday. She says, Tucker Carlson on Wednesday night played a brief trailer for his three-part documentary looking at the events of January 6th. Patriot Purge will premiere on Fox Nation, the network's streaming service, on November 1. She says, clips hint that the film compares the prosecution of Capitol protesters and anyone associated with the events of January 6th to the initial war on terror, a wholly legitimate comparison that my reporting confirms. For example, she says, as I explained in April, Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines issued a report earlier this year warning domestic violent extremists posed a heightened threat to the nation. Not one for subtlety, Haynes included a sketch of the U.S. Capitol in the document. House Republicans at the time blasted Haynes for working outside her legal authority. The intelligence community is supposed to hunt foreign terrorists, not MAGA-supporting MEMAWs. 
She's going outside her legal authority to target American citizens. Unfortunately, most Americans are unaware that the Biden regime, with a big assist from the news media, is indeed conducting a domestic war on terror aimed at the political right. Democrats do not want the public to hear the details of Ashley Babbitt's shooting death at the hands of Capitol Police or the likely role of the FBI in what happened that day or how armed federal agents have raided Trump supporters' homes at dawn in front of their terrified children and horrified neighbors and dragged out in handcuffs to face various trespassing misdemeanors. Democrats do not want the public to know about an inhumane jail in the nation's capital used exclusively to punish Trump supporters who have been denied any chance at bail by ruthless government prosecutors and hostile Beltway judges. Abusive conduct by Capitol and D.C. Metro police officers, which included attacking the crowd with flashbangs, rubber bullets, and copious amounts of mace and other chemicals, must be kept under wraps. So, too, must at least 14,000 hours of surveillance footage captured by security cameras on January 6th, which is why the collective freakout over the 84-second trailer the Tucker played Wednesday night was fast and furious. Journalists and lawmakers who haven't seen the full documentary yet, nonetheless convulsed into hyperspin mode. Philip Bump, national correspondent for the Washington Post, immediately, what is it? G. Gordon Liddy used to call them Washington, D.C.'s quaint little alternative daily. The Washington beep. Anyway, Philip Bump at the Washington Post immediately banged out a 1,200-word diatribe about a film he's never watched. Tucker Carlson made the movie, Philip Bump concluded, to prove he's not a white nationalist, whatever that's supposed to mean. Bump ironically condemns the unseen documentary as an angry muddle while making his own angry muddle against Tucker Carlson, Fox News, January 6th protesters, and a few people highlighted in the trailer, including Revolver's Darren Beatty, the man who blew the, lo- the lid off possible FBI involvement in the chaos. He certainly did. Philip Bump, Washington Post, sneered, saying Carlson wants to elevate the idea, the surreal idea, the deranged idea, that the riot at the Capitol on January 6th was fomented in whole or in part by the government so they could crack down on the political right. Julie Kelly says, now I would far exceed my already generous word limit here by detailing all the surreal and deranged ideas the Washington Post has promoted over the past few years alone. Nicholas Sandman, Brett Kavanaugh, Carter Page, to name just a few, undoubtedly would jump at the chance to show Philip Bump thousands of clippings to prove the Washington Post and not Tucker Carlson as the top purveyor of outlandish conspiracy theories. Speaking of deranged... U.S. Representative Liz Cheney, Wyoming, the daughter of the one of the architects of the first war on terror, took to social media to give her opinion on a film she hasn't watched either. She tweeted Thursday morning, it appears that Fox News is giving Tucker Carlson a platform to spread the same type of lies that provoked violence on January 6th. As Fox News knows, the election wasn't stolen and January 6th is not a false flag operation. She then tagged Fox News honchos, including Rupert Murdoch and Paul Ryan, to make sure they saw her tattle tweet. Cheney was soon joined by Adam Kinzinger, Rhino U.S. rep from Illinois, her colleague on the January 6th Select Committee. Kinzinger, who cried after the testimony of four police officers during a July hearing, echoed Cheney's outrage. Out- outrage. 
He tweeted about a film he also hasn't seen. Quote, anyone working for Fox News must speak out. This is disgusting. It appears Fox News isn't even pretending anymore, unquote. Now, accusing Carlson of promoting cop killers, a flat-out lie since no police officer died as a result of the protests on January 6th, Representative Eric Swalwell, Democrat California, revealed Officer Michael Fanone was, quote, pissed, unquote, which seems to be nothing out of the ordinary for the D.C. cop who graced the front page of Time magazine a few months ago and does little else but visit cable news shows to explain why he's pissed off that particular day. Eric Swalwell tweeted, RT, RT, retweet, if Tucker should talk to the heroes of January 6th, not just the terrorists. Now, one of Tucker Carlson's Fox News colleagues, Geraldo Rivera, lashed out on Twitter, mocking Tucker Carlson's suggestion that January 6th was a false flag operation. Rivera told the New York Times reporter on Thursday, quote, Tucker's wonderful, he's provocative, he's original, but man, oh man, there's some things that you say that are more inflammatory and outrageous and uncorroborated, and I worry that, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I'm wondering how much is done to, pro to provoke rather than illuminate. Messing around with January 6th stuff, the record to me is pretty damn clear that there was a riot that was incited and encouraged unleashed by Donald Trump, unquote. So, again, Horrendo Revolver, as Cheech and Chong used to, used to call him, Geraldo Rivera lies for a living. He's been doing that for, what, 50 years? Julie Kelly continues, and therein lies the real controversy about Tucker Carlson's documentary. The original narrative about January 6th, it was an armed insurrection carried out by white supremacist militias at the behest of Donald Trump over the big lie of election fraud leading to the deaths of police officers while nearly toppling our democracy. Yeah, that original narrative is not to be disturbed no matter how many facets of the original narrative have been shattered. Further, any suggestion that the FBI, a corrupt partisan agency with a proven track record of acting at the behest of Democrat Party interests, was at all instrumental in what happened that day or instigating the violence ahead of time is strictly verboten. No can do. Never mind that even the New York Times reported that FBI informants were working with members of the Proud Boys before and during January 6th, or the numerous questions raised by Darren J. Beatty over at Revolver News, or the jaw-dropping revelations of the FBI's key role in the plot to supposedly kidnapped Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer last year. No questions allowed. Next thing you know, the media will accuse January 6th skeptics of promoting Russian disinformation. <laughs> In fact, that all feels like the lead-up to the release of the Nunes memo. Remember that, Devin Nunes? The 2018 document that connected the Steele dossier to the DNC and the Clinton campaign through Fusion GPS and confirmed the dossier served as the basis for four FISA warrants on the Trump campaign. Before Congressman Nunes issued the report over the objection of Republicans, such as Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham, along with FBI Director Christopher Wray, the media was apoplectic. Nunes was accused of everything from acting as a Russian stooge to being a traitor and a dunce. How dare a sitting congressman go to war with the FBI? John McCain tweeted on the day Devin Nunes' memo was released, quote, The latest attacks on the FBI and Department of Justice serve no American interests, no parties, no presidents, only Putins. Nunes' the court was proven right. 
I suspect Tucker Carlson's documentary will act as the January 6th version of the Nunes memo. And the reason why the people who peddled Russiagate are the same people losing their minds over an unseen documentary on January 6th isn't that they don't know what the film will show. It is rather they know exactly what it will show. John McCain and company fought the release of the Devin Nunes memo for the same reason. On November 1st, no matter how hard they're trying to keep the truth concealed, the public can start to see for themselves. That is the great Julie Kelly over American Greatness. The article is entitled, The Freak Out Over Tucker's January 6th Documentary Begins. And uh, speaking of, I know, I know it's way past time to wrap it up, but I just got to say one more thing. Speaking of Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, Mediaite has the article that came out yesterday. Lindsey Graham reportedly called for law enforcement to shoot January 6th rioters during the attack. Quote, we gave you guns for a reason. Use them. Unquote. And the great Steve Dace over the blaze said, hi, Sean Hannity, next time you give this effeminate twerp free airtime to lie to your audience, could you at least get to the bottom of this and ask him about it? Thanks, and I'll hang up and listen. That's just great. That's just great. God bless Steve Dace. Of course, Sean will not ask Lindsey Graham a tough question. They're friends. No, keeping the family. Nope, not going to happen. Not going to happen. All right, um... This is the longest episode that we have done so far. I, I didn't plan to go on this long, but there's just so much stuff to talk about today. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God has opened the door for us to do this thing. Um, at some point soon, we'll probably start having some advertisers because, you know, we got to figure out a way to fund this thing. As the great uh, retro hip-hop philosopher once said, Big Daddy King got to get paid, man. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, so there's that. There's that. But I'll tell you one thing. We will only have advertisers that I believe in. That's for sure. Um, I no longer work for corporate media. They can no longer uh, ram anything down my throat. They can no longer tell me, oh, you can't talk about this. You can't say that. You can't do it. No. No, we don't do that anymore. And so... I really appreciate, again, this opportunity to share with you today and appreciate the fact we're over 25,000 downloads now for the first 14 episodes. Uh, is it 49 or 50 states? I don't remember. And 22 other countries. Um, people said, are you surprised? Uh, what, what did you expect? We didn't know what to expect. We've never done this before. But we're th- thankful, and we appreciate you getting the word out about, about the Doc Washburn Show. Uh, we will see you... Uh, live live stream tomorrow noon eastern 11 central if you're listening to the podcast uh that's great fantastic we appreciate that if you ever want to listen live um we're going to try to figure out how to put an embedded media player on docwashmanshow.com so you can just listen live on the website we haven't quite figured that one out yet in the meantime you can download the podbean app on your phone but we appreciate the people who listen live. We appreciate the people who listen later by downloading the podcast or just going to docwashmanshow.com and clicking on listen. I've never downloaded a podcast in my life. Uh, so uh, as uh, a former president once said, I feel your pain. 
No, I shouldn't have done that. I, I don't deserve a chuckle on that. No, you're too kind. You're too kind. Look, I'll be here all week. Come early Friday for the No Smoking Show. Be sure to try the feel. Remember your waitress. Uh, this has been episode number 15 of the Doc Washburn Show for Monday, November 1st, 2021. God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow, God willing.